Well, it is the first Sunday of Advent for those of you who follow those sort of uh, religious kind of uh, routines and rituals. So Advent is the four Sundays leading up to, to Christmas. So this is the first of those four and the first um, Sunday in Advent. And this morning's message I want to bring to you is called A New Worship Song. There's lots of genres of music um, and particularly... Um, there are then subgenres. You know, you have genres of music like, I don't know, pop and rock and country and rap and all this sort of stuff. And then you have these subgenres like Christmas music. Christmas music is kind of a genre all of its own, really. And I wonder um, if you have a favourite Christmas song. Have you got a favourite Christmas song? What would be your, your go to song for Christmas to feel Christmassy? Ah, oh, my chemical romance, all I want for Christmas. Yeah, that's an uptake on Maria Carey's. Is it just a. Oh, far better. Anyone else? Heart the Herald. Well done, Roy, for being religious there. Well done, right? Anyone else? Gina. A long time ago in Bethlehem. Yeah. James. Right. All oh, the darkness. Oh, um, yeah. What was it? What was the song? Yeah, all I can hear is the electric guitar solo in my head. What do you think are the saddest Christmas songs you can remember? Blue Christmas. Yeah. What about I'll Be Home for Christmas? Drive, yeah. Well, no, yeah, he's getting home, right? I'll be home for Christmas. It's not true. He's like, only in your dreams, Aaron. Drummer boy. Apparently last Christmas is a sad one as well, really, if you think about it. You know, I gave you my heart, and the very next day you gave it away, right? We have an amazing ability to write songs that sound upbeat, but really when you read the lyrics are not that great. Well, in fairy tale, I know your guest kind of in there as well, isn't it, right? You know, a couple arguing at Christmas time. So I, I, I use this all to give you a, far, a very tenuous link to Advent, because I think I've got the strangest of sermons at the best of times, right? This is an odd one. Not a sermon I've heard preached very often or this sort of um, subject matter I've not heard covered a lot. Um, and especially in Advent. So here was my tenuous link there from Christmas. You know, as I got from Christmas to where we're going to get to, which is I want to think about a new type of worship song that we rarely hear sung. We just spoke there about Christmas. You've got this array of songs. Then you've got a whole bunch of sad songs at Christmas. And I want to preach this morning about something that's called the Song of Lament. Merry Christmas to you. I know it's an odd one, but you know, you've got to go where Jesus tells you to go. You know, I, I tried to think of what would be a tenuous connection. You know, it could be the Christmas songs. It could also be, and this is probably more of a spiritual connection, you know, in all of the readings of uh, Christmas time, you know, that you hear at Christmas, all the traditional parts of Matthew and Luke, which is where most, you know, the, the Christmas story really comes from, that you read, it buried within there is this little passage where um, Herod is jealous of the idea that a king is going to come, and he orders the slaughtering of the children in Bethlehem. And he kind of zoomed through it, really, an absolute tragic event in the Christmas story. It's not the bit that we really focus on when the children are up the front here, but it's in there. Um, and within there, there's this little song, this little um, prophecy in there, when it talks about how Rachel is lamenting for her children. And, and they're, they're, again, here's my tenuous link to Christmas, because we're where we are today, because I feel God's told us to. And the reason why, I think, really, is because in the midst of this Christmas story, where some great things are going on, there is tragedy. There's heartbreak. There's, there's, there's loss and mourning going on. 
And that happens in the midst of the Christmas story, and we, you know, we, we not gloss over, but we focus on bits of the Christmas story, and we don't really focus on that, because it doesn't really fit well with the kind of Jingle Bells kind of moment, does it really? And, you know, Little Donkey and all that sort of stuff. But I think really the, the, the connection here is that, that reality, that in the midst of great things going on, there can also be great sadness going on. And I think I'm aware that within this church, there's a lot of people carrying some really tough things right now. That's the reality. In the midst of great things, that's not to take away from what God is doing and what God will do and what he's promised and everything, but in the midst of that, there's a large number, not just the odd, a large number of people in the church that I'm aware of are like going through really, really tough times. And then if you kind of step back and kind of zoom the lens out a little bit and think about the church, not just this church, but the church, you know, particularly in the UK, there's a lot of things to get sad and concerned about, the splits and the differences and the, the arguments and the difficulties that go on within the church. And then if you look around the UK, just think about our very nation. You know, if you, if you don't have to look very hard. There's some dreadful, you know, tragic things that are going on with inequality and poverty and prejudice and people who are being uh, abused and depression and all manner of things going on in our nation. And then zoom the lens back even more and think about the world. You've only got to turn the TV on and see the headlines of things that are going on in our world right now, where there is a lot of death and destruction. And, and often we, can, we have a tendency in church life to kind of filter away from that. When in real life, it's there. It's very real and present. And in church life, we can have this habit of kind of glossing over. But in reality, those things, whether they are the very local things or the very global things, have the ability to really impact our soul and how we're really doing deep down. And they can buffet us around so much that we can start to lose hope and lose faith and feel in a real difficult place. And then if all you have at church is the highs, the amazing stuff, we can feel this disconnection with the sorrow that we can feel inside and the joy that we express in a church building. So I want you to think about kind of this thing, I've, I've, I've used this title of a new worship song because this thing about lament that we'll get into is actually a genre of worship. And if you think about, the, you know, if you were to go home today and I don't know whether you put CDs on or Spotify or YouTube or wherever you listen to music, however you get music delivered to you, right, whether it's from the shelf or from the internet, and you go, I want to put on some worship songs this morning. What is in your worship playlist? What are the go-to songs that are in there? And think about how many of those have that element of sadness and sorrow and, 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 and crying out to God. Not many of them. But in our Bibles, I have a Bible here somewhere, yeah, right? In our Bibles, in the book of Psalms, that's the biggest songbook in the Bible, there are 150 Psalms. And 65 of them are laments. Are these songs that are crying out to God, saying, why is it going so bad, God? 65, so if you want that in statistical terms, that's 45%. That means that two in five psalms have got that element in it. That's not as eclectic as our worship mix, if we're honest, right? Both at church and at home, and what's produced, what you can buy, what you can source on CDs and what have you. We're nowhere near as eclectic as that, even though the Bible itself and the book of Psalms has got that eclectic. And so what you find is that when you're in that dark place, when you're in that difficult place, when, when those painful things of life start to surface and you're trying to grapple with it and deal with them, looking for the song that gives words to that can be a difficult thing. 
If all you've got is the array of I'm a conqueror, God is victorious, we're going to overcome. I, there's a phrase that you might have heard before, which is, um, it, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So as many of you know, I'm a keen DIYer. I'm, here's my hammer. I actually picked the one that wasn't bent. I've got one that's bent, and I don't know how it got bent, but it couldn't have been through me bashing it, right? But so, so the, the, the concept here really is, right, and it, I have more of a toolbox than this, I promise you. My toolbox has grown significantly. Um, hammer and nail. Right? That's what it's intended for. To bang nails in, right? If this is the only tool in your toolbox, then this is great for the nails. Absolutely brilliant. But, you know, if you've got um, a screw, right? I'm not going to bang it into this or into that. I, th I thought I'd bring in a block of wood and having a go, but then I'd show that I haven't really got any arm power. I mean, Dave could. He can swing a hammer, right? But, you know, you try and hang now, hammer screws in, they'll, they'll kind of go. They will. You have to work a lot harder. They're not intended to be that way, uh, and they don't really stick as well. But you can you can bash it in there. It kind of looks like a nail, even though it's a screw. You try and take a bolt, where you're meant to be getting a spanner to to thread this on, and try and bash that in. It's never never working. I, I recently I did do some DIY. I, I repaired the um, the leak in the in my conservatory with these special things that you kind of screw in the top. And then you have to mastic around the edge to seal all the, the water from going in. You can bash this till the cows come home around the edges to get it as flat as you want. It's never going to work. It needs mastic. If all you've got is a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. And I, I, I have a, a film that I like. Um, I don't watch it that often, but I think it's a good film. Jerry Maguire. You all right? Uh, I don't think it's off. I'm still talking. It's still there. We're all there. We're all there. That's all right. I'll, I'll step closer, Ros, then you can hear me, right? So, um, there's a film I like called Jerry Maguire. And in Jerry Maguire, Jerry Maguire is, the, is this guy who's a sports agent. So, he connects with the sportsmen to get them deals. And he, he ends up being a solo company trying to find one. And he goes to one of the people that he wants to get a deal with. And he gets there and he manages to, to, to agree a deal with the father of this, um, this American footballer. And he didn't think he'd get the deal. And he's so elated when he comes away. And he's driving in his car. And it's this wonderful scene. I can so identify with it. He's driving his car and he puts the radio on because he's happy. And he puts the radio on and there's a song and he tries to sing along to it. It's like, oh, it's not. And he tunes it again and oh, that's not a song. And he keeps tuning it until he finds the song. And then he sings. It's just, he's finding that thing that kind of, what's the song that really is going on within me? And I, I think that th this hammer is a great tool. It's a great tool when you want to bang a nail in. But it's not a very good tool when you need to mastic something. It's not a very good tool when you need to tighten up a bolt. And so we have an array of worship songs. A collection of things that we use to encourage us that are like a hammer. They're really great. But if you're in that Jerry Maguire moment where your heart, your soul is in a place, you're like, this is how I fight my battles. This, I'm trying to sing it, but I'm not getting it. And, you know, I'm... I'm Every giant must fall, every giant must fall, but inside I feel like this giant's overtaking me. And that's not to say the hammer isn't any good. There's an array of worship stuff that's really great. But I sense within myself at times, and as Christians, that we can be in this place where there's a different song that needs to be sung. There's more to the jukebox, if you think about it that way. 
to be played. And I am, I, 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 this was really brought to life to me, actually, in, in not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago, I think. Um, I saw on Facebook someone had posted, it wasn't in this church, but someone I know, and they were crying out. They'd put out on Facebook some crying out of how rubbish life was for them. And you could hear the pain, and we often do this, don't we? We kind of need to let it out. And well-meaning Christian people responded on there with well-meaning things that Christians do. You know the sort of responses, don't you, right? They're biblically true, right? But they just make you feel dreadful for just saying, I'm just fed up with life. I thought there's no point going on because at that moment, the song you're hearing is not the song that's going on. And it's not that the hammer's no good. It's just the wrong tool for the wrong moment. Sometimes you need to sing the song of lament. So if you're still struggling, what is this lament thing is going on about? And I said to you, there's 65 of these in the book of Psalms. Let me read to you one of them. Just so you get the feel of what is, what is a song, a worship song that's lamenting sound like? This is one of them from Psalms. This is what it sounds like in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me, God. Give light to my eyes or I'll sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. I want to tell you, when you're in a tough place, when the things that are going on in your life or around you or in the world start to get to you and you're crying out those words, these sorts of words in the Bible are the song on the radio that go, thank you. You've given me words to what's going on within me. And I think the wonderful thing about these songs of lament is they tell you the Bible understands me. That's the, that's the challenge when we've only got the hammer. When we're only grabbing some bits of our Bible... And we're like, I don't think God really understands. Because when you're only focused on some bits of it and you don't get to those other tough bits, when you do, you're like, yes, the psalmist knew what I meant. And God was gracious enough to include it in his word. He didn't edit it out and go, no, we don't want that bit in there. We're going to just, you know, take that, that page out. No, he put loads of it, especially in the book of Psalms in there. A whole book called Lamentations is full of lament. A whole book was devoted to this. This is God saying, I understand. They kind of give you permission to say those things. It's outrageous what we've just read in Psalm 13 there. What are you up to, God? How long am I going to have to wait for this? If you don't do something, God, I'm going to fall. Did they give us permission to go, I'm allowed to say that to God? And they invite us into the Word of God. I don't know about you, but when I've been tough, in tough places, in dark places, there's a massive temptation to not open this book. And these words go, come on in. This word of God is for you in that moment too. And what's great about them is they take us in our pain and our difficulty and our questioning, our kind of confusion, and they lead us to look at God. They meet us where we're at. I, I mean, I often, um, I have a philosophy around leading worship that sounds very unspiritual. Um, I kind of think that leading worship is not about God, but it's about people. And what I mean by that is, 
God will listen to any song we sing to him. He's there ready. But often as people we come and we're here, there and everywhere and different things. And I often think the philosophy of leading worship, as the, you know, as worship leaders is how do you meet people where they're at and then get them to the throne room of God? Because if you start up here and they've just got out of the car shouting at the kids and fed up about this and worried about that, you, you know, you've lost them. But if you can capture them, and I think that the laments do that. They, they catch us right in our confusion and our pain and our crying out and they help guide us and lead us to the sovereign God who's the answer. They give us hope. So let me just put a bit of definition around what is lamenting. And maybe start with what lamenting isn't. Lamenting isn't just complaining. And I appreciate you, like me, like all of us, there's a moment where we just let it out, don't we, right? I feel so much good just to have a good old whinge, right? Fine, there may be a space for that, but I haven't got a theology for that. I've got a theology for lamenting. And lamenting isn't just complaining. And it's not ignoring the rubbish that's going on. It's not some super spiritual like, no, I'm not really ill. I'm actually well, even though everything's hurting in my body. Right? It's not, it's not that stuff. It's not ignoring it. And it's not some pithy little scriptural phrase, I'm more than a conqueror if I keep repeating that. Or, you know, it's not that. That's not what lamenting is. It's not moaning on social media to get lots of compassion from other people there may be a place for that as well that's not what lamenting is my encouragement to you is not those things my encouragement is what biblical lamenting is here's a definition that i found off the internet of all things in it but i think it's a really good way of describing it lament is a form of praise and prayer with the aim of drawing close to god in times of great suffering and pain it's a form of praise that sounds odd doesn't it that moaning to God is a form of praise, and it's a form of prayer. Often we think prayer would be praying for someone else, or, Lord, can you do this? But actually, shouting at God is a form of prayer. But the aim of it is to draw us closer to God, especially when we're in suffering and pain. Lament is like this wailing of the heart to God, to a God who hears, a God who cares. God is involved in our lives. That's what it's about. And the great thing about lamenting is only Christians can lament. Everyone can moan and whinge. But only those in relationship with God can come to God in lamenting. It's exclusively available to us as believers. No one else can do that. I mean, even though people who don't know God like to blame God for something, they're not lamenting. The purpose of lamenting is to come to God with our pain so we can draw closer to him, so that he can be involved in our lives. And the fact that we get away with it is a statement of our relationship. I don't know if you found that. The people you're closest to can actually say the most outrageous things. Others, you would just cut them out of your life. But those you have deep love and relationship for, you have the most patience for, even when they're out of line even when they say dreadful things. You, you have a heart that says, oh man, I wish they hadn't said that, but I want to be in relationship with them. I want to love them. I want to get them out of where they're at. Those you're in relationship with, when you find someone who's in a bad place and they say outrageous things, you look beyond that and you go, I know what this is really about. They've not got the ump for me. They've got such a bad back right now and they're really grouchy because pain does that. Or they've been let down or they're grieving or whatever. A friend looks beyond that and sees what's really going on and God is our greatest friend. That's a statement of our relationship that we're able to actually outlet what's really going on in us and he can take it. 
Because if you weren't in relationship with someone, they'd be like, enough, you're done. Thank you very much. Go somewhere else. So I want to I wanna get super practical and, and I want to teach you how to lament. Because it's not something we do very often. But the Bible gives us clues and instructions and kind of guides of how to do this, especially when there's so many laments in the Bible. And I, I thought about how do I make this the most memorable I can. And I can't help the fact that I've got four points. Because everyone says three points is easy to remember, right? So, but I want to try and make it super practical. And if you, everyone knows head, shoulders, knees, and toes, right? You know, head, shoulders, knees, and toes, right? You just kind of somehow grained in. I want, and that's head, shoulders, knees, and toes. There's four of them. So that says to me, you can remember head, shoulders, knees, and toes. So I want to try and get bodily. And I'm going to go through these four points with you. And, and, and let me tell you them in advance. It's face. Mouth, eyes, mind. Face, mouth, eyes, mind. These are the four steps of lamenting. So let me guide you. Oh, look there, on the screen, I should put that. Face, mouth, eyes, and mind. There we go, right? So the first thing is your face. You direct your complaint to God. When we are going through the tough places and really want to let it out, there's all manner of places we want to moan about it. All manner of places we want to direct that. And lament starts with our face facing towards God, saying, this thing I'm going to do is between me and you, God. This is what this moment's about. I'm going to take all of this stuff that's going inside me, and I'm going to face you, God. I'm going to direct this towards God, not towards our enemies, those who have hurt us, not towards our suffering, not towards our pain, not towards our best friend. This is a moment where we go, this is between me and God. And in doing so, we acknowledge that God is sovereign of everything. He's involved in everything. He's in control. He's in command. And again, let me just so you know, I'm not making this up. I'll just throw some scriptures at you, but you can read them for you. A number of the Psalms, Psalm 3.1 says, oh Lord, how many are my foes? Psalm 10.1 says, why, oh Lord? Psalm 12.1 says, save me, oh Lord. Psalm 28.1 says, to you, oh Lord, I call. It always starts with this Lord. It starts with the, I'm talking to you. If you write a letter to someone, you put their name at the top. These laments, they start with, this is between me and you, God. This is where I'm facing And it's this gift of God that God says, you can come and talk to me about this. It's an invitation from God saying, that pain that you're feeling, that difficulty, that confusion, that question, I'm ready. You have an open heaven to face God with this. It's part of the blessing of being in relationship with God. And so you can approach the throne of God God boldly. That's what it says in Hebrews. We can boldly approach the throne of grace. And we often think about that for many things, but it includes this thing. That we can go, I am not in a good place. And I am going to face God in this moment. I'm going to direct this towards God. And I would encourage you when you go to lament, when you go, this is what I need to do. I'm going to put into practice what Trevor was preaching about on Sunday. That you, 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 you may physically turn your head to wherever it feels like you're looking towards God. You might look at your feet, you might look up. But you know you're facing God. And call him by name. Call him by who he is. 
And so, again, I want to get really practical. I want to, because this is going to feel a bit unfamiliar. If we sang a new song, I'll teach you the new song a bit, and then we'd sing it, right? You know, if it's a familiar song, we just start, and everyone knows it. This might be unfamiliar territory. So what I want to do is I want us to lament together in these four steps. So I want us just to read this out. This is, this is our turning our face. And rather than us all make up different words, we'll all say it together, and then we'll kind of get into the motion of this. So let's read this out together. Lord my God, I call out to you. You are the maker of heaven and earth. You are the creator of all things. You are my rock and my shepherd. You are my shepherd king. We start with who are we talking to? And who is he? What's his character? What's he like? How does he behave? He's the creator of all things. He's made heaven and earth. He's our rock, our foundation. He's our great shepherd. That's where we're starting. We are directing our complaint to God. So, face, mouth. We then describe our suffering. It's weird, really, because God knows everything that's going on inside you and me. He knows your innermost thoughts. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. But he seems to still encourage us to actually verbalize and vocalize our complaint, our pain, our wondering, our confusion. So tell him how you're feeling. You know, because God knows what's going on inside your head, you're not going to shock him when you say it out loud. Often we shock ourselves. Often we'll say things and afterwards, oh, sure, I said that to God. He knew you felt that way anyway. He knew that question was going on inside of you. You're not going to shock him. He's big enough to take it. So tell God. Tell him why you're angry about your suffering or confused about the pain you're feeling or you don't understand when the Word of God says this and I'm experiencing that. What is that about God? Tell him. Tell him about your suffering. It, it's, um, it's what I would call humble vulnerability. Because we live in a world, and especially weirdly in Christian circles, where we kind of think subliminally we're meant to have it all together. Right? We're meant to have it all under control. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm not picking on Irene. I'm actually picking on myself. But I'm going to use Irene as an example. So we, we were doing this little Bible study thing um, before we moved home. I'd like to restart in the new year. And so we'd do a Zoom meeting every other week um, and talk about following Jesus. And I remember Irene saying to me, um, she found it really encouraging how I would talk about all the things I was struggling with. Because it's easy to believe that I've got it all sorted, and I haven't. And it's a, it's a big part of what I believe is about all being authentic Christians with each other, is about talking about the things we're wrestling with and the things that we worry about. Because I'm trying to counter the subliminal narrative within churches, which is you've got to have your game face on. You've got to be the, the super Christian who's got it all covered. And sometimes even confessing that to God is hard, saying, God, I've not got this. I don't understand this. I'm confused. Listen to the words from different um, psalms where people have said things that would be difficult to say. Psalm 10, verse 1. Why do you hide yourself, God, just in the time of trouble? Just when it gets tough, God, why are you nowhere to be seen? Psalm 13, 1. How long, O Lord, 
will you forget me forever? Are you going to keep forgetting about my prayer, God? Are you going to keep ignoring me, Psalm 13, 1 says. Psalm 42, 3 says, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These are psalmists, and there are more I could pick on, who verbalize and vocalize the unspeakable things in church. We're going to vocalize that God is awesome and he's there forever. And they're all true. They're the hammer. They're totally true. This is a great tool for the nail. But there's a time in the Word of God and the time in our Christian experience where God says, tell me how you're feeling. Tell me about the pain you're going through. And so again, just to step into what it feels like to lament, I want to read out some words together. I don't know exactly what you might be feeling or not. You might be going, okay, this will be a helpful tool for another day. And it may well be. Sometimes learning this stuff is like, okay, I've got that. So when I'm in a tough place, I can pull on that. Or it might be really speaking to how you're feeling right now. But let's, let's read together these words. This is this phase of describing your suffering. And even if you don't feel this way, just try it on for, like trying on a pair of shoes. Give it a go. Feel like what it's like to say the outrageous to God. Lord... I'm exhausted and discouraged. I feel so alone, abandoned, and forgotten. It feels like everyone is blessed while I struggle along. Lord, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? I thought you would never leave me, but it feels like you have. That's, that's, that's outrageous. We don't say that in worship songs, do we? Are we allowed to? Is that okay? I've got to tell you, if you just stop there, you haven't lamented. You've only done half of it. But it's definitely part of it. There's loads of it in the Bible. Lamentations, Jeremiah does a bit of it. 65 of the Psalms do this. So I feel happy that this is in the Word of God, therefore I'm not going to be chucked out of my job by saying it in church, right? because I'm quoting the Bible, I'm in line with what goes on in the Bible. But it moves from our facing towards God and our verbalizing it, our describing our suffering, to our eyes. To our eyes to look to God to rescue you from the very thing you've just described to him. Don't simply pour out your pain and your suffering. Don't end there. This is where useless complaining turns into real biblical lament. Because it takes that moment of going, I'm talking to you, God, and I've just said the unspeakable things to you about what's really going on within me. And now, it's over to you, God. (laughs) I've done my part. I've told you what's going on. And now I'm looking to you to rescue me from this situation. And we look to him because there's great hope in him. When you start to describe what's really going on within yourself, you realize how deep it can be. And sometimes you can feel even more helpless. You're like, man, I'm really, really fed up, aren't I? Now I've let it out. Wow, I didn't realize it was going as deep as that. And it it identifies the reality that we're not our own savior, that we need a savior, that we need to look to him. We look to him, the one who can act in our situation. Again, some psalms for you where they say this. Psalm 44, 23. Listen to the way this psalmist is looking to God. 
Awake. Why are you sleeping, God? Get up. It's fascinating. Because it, it's got a twist there of not just moaning, like, where are you, God? Why don't you do anything? Saying, God, I need you to act. Get up, God. Do something in this situation. Psalm 10, verse 12. Arise, God. Lift up your hand. Don't forget the afflicted. Psalm 28, 2. Listen to my prayer for mercy as I cry out for help. You know, as Christians, we know that Christ has won the battle. We know eternally he's done it. He's done it at the cross, and there's going to be a day coming when he wraps everything together. We're going to be in heaven. Sin and death is to be thrown into the pit. The enemy's going to be defeated. We know that's coming. He secured that final victory. So our strength in amidst all the trials is that he is the victor, that he's got it. You know, everything that God does only makes sense from an eternal perspective. A lot of what's going on doesn't make sense here and now. It makes sense in eternity. When we see all that God's been up to and all he's doing. And so when we're doing this, we're looking to God saying, God, you've got an eternal plan. I'm looking to you to, put, to, to unfold your plan. To step in and to do something, God, because there's nothing left in me to do. So again, let's just put it into practice. Let's give it a go. Let's put on this pair of shoes and feel it. Let's say this together. Jesus, I look to you. You alone are my reward. I believe that you have a purpose for all things. So give me strength in this time to live for you. Come, Lord, and rescue me. Hear my prayer. We've gone from looking at him to telling the pain we're going through to say, sorry, to turn our face, to looking at him and saying, Lord, you come and rescue. It's your time to act, God. You need to intervene, God. This is what you do, God. This is who you are. I need you. And then it ends with this thing about our mind. We've faced God with our challenges and our pain and our confusion we've verbalized it to him we've looked at him and said god you need to do it and then we rest finally in our mind meditating on who god is this is the god who never grows weary of keeping his promises it's not a single promise he's broken there's not a single thing he's not in control there's not a point in history where god is not in control where he's not sovereign there isn't anywhere he's not faithful to accomplish his purposes and his plans. This is the bit that we know. Right now there might be a situation that doesn't make sense. But what we know is that God is the same yesterday, today and forever. What we know is he is faithful and true. What we know is he loves us. What we know is he sent his son to die for us. What we know is he's going to achieve all things in the end. It's going to make sense when we get there. We know those things and we allow our minds to meditate on those. We dwell on God's love, that love of God, that constant truth that we know in the Word of God, His character. So often this is true in human life. When someone lets you down or does something out of character, we, we use that phrase, out of character. We're like, that's not who I know them really to be. There's something about God's character that when it isn't making sense and we don't know what's going on, we rest on His character. We rest on his track record. What we read that he's done in history. 
This is why I personally really love actually um, writing a journal or a diary. I don't do it every day, um, but I do it quite a lot. And um, I think I've shared this before. I have this habit where I actually have um, a page for each day of the year. So when it's November the 13th, I write on November the 13th. But what I've written on November the 13th is there from previous years. And what it means is when I'm in a tougher place where it's not making sense, often I'll read back to a, a year, two years, three years, four years before where I wasn't in that place. And I was like, woo, God's victorious. Look what God's done. And I'm like, oh man, God works. God's been at work. I rest in his character, in his history, in who he is. This is what psalmists say, Psalm 13:5. but I've trusted in your steadfast love. Psalm 10, 17, you will strengthen their heart. Psalm 42, 8, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me. The goal of lament isn't just to express our pain, but to correct our thinking, to align with him and who he is and who his word is. That's the process. That's, what, that's why reading some of these psalms of lament is really great because we start in that place where we're like, yeah, I know exactly what they mean by that. They're the words I didn't even want to say. I didn't know I could say them. And they take us often to a but word. Blah, 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 blah. But, God, you're faithful. God, you're true. Let's say it together. You are faithful and true. You never left me and you never will. Your love for me is eternal. On your grace I do not deserve. You have promised to make all things right in the end. This is biblical. You don't hear about it a lot. There's not many Christian songs written for it. I did a little search on Spotify this morning, Songs of Lament. I found a couple. There was a whole playlist. When I listened to them, I'm like, that's not really a song of lament. It's just in, in a minor key, right? You know, it's just sung slowly, right? I don't know how Be Thou My Vision can be a song of lament, right? But, you know, but there were some there. There's not many. And they probably wouldn't sell many CDs or many streams on Spotify for them. So in actual fact, most of the songs of lament that you're going to find is not on your Spotify playlist, but it's going to be in the Word of God. And like I said, you haven't got to go far. Open the book of Psalms. Keep reading. You'll get to one very quickly. Two in five. Have that theme about them. Now, I'm really conscious of time. I've made a commitment to Roz that we're going to be a bit more strict with our time. In other words, the poor junior church teacher never knows when it's going to end. So I've probably got more to say, but I'm going to wrap it up in, in, in two minutes flat. Um, and maybe I'll post something on Facebook for, for the bits I'm not able to cover here. But I just want to wrap up by saying this. You could look and say, yeah, but Trev, that's the Old Testament. Lamentations, Book of Psalms, it's all in the Old Testament. Surely Jesus come and made it all better. Calling us new, new Testament Christians in a new covenant, that's all gone now. We don't have to feel that way. But what I would say is Jesus lamented. I think one of the most wonderful things is when you read that bit where Jesus is on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Most of the time, we just take that at surface level and go, oh, there was some separation in the Trinity or, or maybe Jesus was separated or maybe he just felt like it. Different theological debates go on about it. But anyway, we just stay at that surface level. But what we don't realize is this. He's quoting Psalm 22, another one of those Psalms of lament. And what's interesting as well, man, you could have a whole sermon about this. In Jesus' day, people didn't read psalms, they sung them. Psalms were songs, they were used to being sung. So I have this picture of Jesus on the cross, not just saying, 
and in in the Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani, as a, as a shout, but almost like a croaky trying to sing the song that goes with it. Jesus on the cross leading worship. Jesus on the cross demonstrating to his followers, this is what you do in times of pain. You cry out your lament to God. Now you go away and read Psalm 22. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It pours out pain. It talks about things that are happening to Jesus. They're casting lots of my clothes. My body's out, out of shape. They're mocking me, saying, where is your God? All this prophetic stuff, but also he turns around about how God is the saviour and the salvation. He's prophesying and leading worship from the cross through a lament. There's power in that. So I look and go, I don't think it's just an Old Testament thing. Jesus is demonstrating and teaching and saying, there are moments, I mean, to be honest with you, my analogy works well for the phrase, when you only got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. But to be honest with you, I should really pick a more obscure tool because lament isn't that common and often. It's not our everyday experience. But when you need that tool, it's the only thing that's going to do it. And Jesus says there's a place for it. The other thing just to say about Jesus is, again, a bit of homework for you. Go read the story of Lazarus. Jesus hears that Lazarus is ill. Jesus says to his disciples, he's dead. He says to his disciples, but he's not going to be dead. He's going to be waken up. Jesus travels to Lazarus in the tomb, knowing that he's going to raise him from the dead. And there, in the place where everyone is lamenting, Jesus weeps. What's Jesus crying about? He knows the story. Jesus not only teaches us to lament and demonstrates and says there's a place for it, he steps into yours. He comes along to the tomb of Lazarus and says, I'm going to cry with you. I'm going to step into your pain. Yeah, I know where the story's going. I know. You wait. Just wait in five minutes' time. You're going to be, your tears are going to go. We're going to open that tomb. He's going to walk out. This situation's going to change dramatically. But here and now, you don't feel that way. Here and now, you're crying. So I'm going to cry with you. I'm going to step into your pain. Even though Jesus knows the fullness of the story, that's the saviour we have. So I would just say for you, if you're in that place today, don't feel alone. Don't feel like you're weird or not a good Christian. Open your Bible. Find some of those Psalms. Read them. Cry out them. Let them lead you to God. And if you're not in that place, hold that one in the bank. My experience is those days do come. And when they come, you don't want to be lost at sea going, I don't know where I go in the Bible for this. You go, I go to God. I look to him. I tell him exactly how I feel, warts and all. I look to him to come and fix this and to solve it. And I meditate on his character. We sang it this morning in a cornerstone, a rest on his unchanging grace. Lord Jesus, we thank you. You are a saviour worth following you're a king worth dying for, worth living for, worth laying our lives down for. Lord, thank you that you know us and you know our human experience. And we thank you, Jesus, that you have amazing, wonderful, rejoicing truths, but you also weep with us and you step into our pain. We thank you for who you are. Come be with us wherever we're at this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.